Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful future exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life, and for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topic and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now here's your host, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. In this episode, we are going to talk with a partner of a prominent Twin Cities law firm about some of their most recent merger and acquisition cases, as well as some of the collaborative work that we've done together with our clients. But first, let's hear from our show sponsor, Sunbelt Business Advisors. You wouldn't go deep sea fishing without a guide or skydive without an instructor. So don't sell your business without a broker. Now is a great time to sell a business. Many are selling at a premium. Contact a business broker at sunbeltminnesota.com or call Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880 and get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth. Because selling your business is the biggest financial decision you may ever make. There is a record number of buyers looking for businesses right now. It is a seller's market. You could list, sell, and get more for your business now and start the next successful chapter of your life. Call 612-455-0880 today or visit sunbeltminnesota.com. Minnesota's largest seller of companies. 612-455-0880, sunbeltminnesota.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here today with Josh Bobich, who is a partner at Best & Flanagan, and whose focus is business law and mergers and acquisitions. Josh, welcome to Poised for Exit. Hi, Julie. Thank you. Glad to be yeah, here. Thanks. I'm glad that you could be too. So before we start the interview, I first just want to say thank you to you and to Bestin Flanagan for becoming a sponsor of the second edition of my book, which of course is called Poised for Exit. Um, so I got to just say, say uh, to our listening audience here, on behalf of the firm, Josh created a very helpful questionnaire for business owners, and it's it's kind of a legal assessment, if you will, or a starting point. And so as a business owner, when you're starting to think about the process and begin the process to plan for a future exit from your business, Josh's tool that he created, the assessment, is available both on the Poised for Exit website as well as um, in the book. And so I just wanted to say thank you for supporting the book and for being a part of it. Um, like I said, it's available on the poisedforexit.com website. You can download it uh, there, or of course, you can find it in the second edition of the book. And the book is available on Kindle as well as in paperback on Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. So and thanks for all the out. places all yeah. across the world, right? It's <laughs> everywhere. Exactly. We're thrilled to have been. Yeah, we're thrilled to have had the opportunity and, and really happy mm-hmm. to be a part of it. So um, no, this has worked out wonderfully, I think. So and it's a great yeah. book and. Um, we're glad to have a little bit of a mention in it. Absolutely. And so I, I have to say, too, that I appreciated how you created the list, which is, you know, what I referred to earlier here. And I just like to have you talk a little bit about why or how you put it together and why you put it together mm-hmm. the way you did, because it's not just covering legal matters and risk mm-hmm. mitigation from that standpoint. You've also got some other matters that you've covered there that I think are like I said, a really great starting point for the owner. Well, I mean, I think it's just like it's a much more holistic question than like I'm ready to sell my business I, mm-hmm. in, in the way that I look at it, and that's the way that I try to 
connect with my clients on it is that yeah you might be selling or transitioning your business but that's like one piece of a much bigger puzzle um you know what are, where are you going from here if it's something if you've if you've built this business throughout the course of most of your life or part of your life you know it's certainly a large part of you and you know what happens when it's gone and yeah. you know do you want to continue to do something else are you ready to retire um you do want to you know go to a warm climate and sit on the beach day after day. I mean, everybody has a different, you know, has a different plan for where they want to go and mm -hmm. just simply saying, okay, I think it's time for me to sell my business because the market is good. It doesn't really, you know, get you to where you ultimately want to go. Exactly. Um, you know, it's both, it's, it's especially with, you know, closely held businesses and family owned businesses. It's, it's such a personal thing. And yeah. more often than not, most most people in that position are are much much more worried about what's going to happen to their employees and you know to their legacy than they are about ultimately what they're receiving out of the transaction. Mm -hmm. you know, I would they agree want with to that. make sure you know make sure that people are taken care of and and that's the things I think that keep you know most vast majority of business owners up at night, especially in in this size you know the lower middle market middle market lower market. Um, those are the things that they that they're concerned about. It's not they need to make this huge, you know, killing, and I don't care, you know, huge killing on purchase price. Yeah. And I don't care what happens to everybody else. That's just not that's typically not the mentality um, of businesses of this type. I, I agree, and I think to the detriment of the business owners sometimes because they forget about themselves until they get to the end. And then they're like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, I guess I still have life to live. How am I going to live that? So right. <laughs> I just thought of something I have yeah. to ask you. So, you know, obviously yeah. you've been riding this this wave for a while. I know there's a lot going on and we got a bunch of more questions to ask and, and talk about here. But um, when it comes to like an, the most interesting answer that you've received from mm -hmm. a client, when you ask that question, well, what's next? What have you heard? Like any, anything like juicy that, you know, you just want to go, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, not, not, nothing has been like super fascinating. I mean, I think it's uh -huh. a lot of times it's like, you know, I kind of want to get out of this. And then I kind of want to maybe start something else. Or I want to yeah. be a consultant or, yeah. you know, it, it more, as time goes on more and more, it's, you know, and I don't know, maybe this will change generationally, but I think now where we're at kind of like, you know, kind of the exiting baby boomer phase is you know I, i've worked all my life like i've always worked i'm not gonna yes. not work and it's kind of amazing to me because honestly when i think about it myself when i'm like okay if i got to a point where i if i won the lottery tomorrow would i continue to work the answer is probably not <laughs> i mean i think i probably would like <laughs> maybe go into you know philanthropy or something that you know make a difference that way as opposed to being like i want to keep working like i just i think it's a very generational difference you know I'm like at this cusp of this like a cusp of the millennial and and Jim what was just before so it's like I think everybody just thinks about it differently and you know a lot of those who are selling their businesses who grew up in that generation it's that you know working and their job and the profession is so much more integrated into who they are personally than a lot of people are now or that younger generations are it's just you know and I don't I don't know what that's attributed to just the way you know progress of of the world i guess you know and access to information or whatever it might be but I, some of them have been like yeah no i'm just gonna you know get through this i'm i'm done i'm gonna 
not really gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take more trips and I'm gonna stay at home with my five cats. Like that's a true story. <laughs> she still lives in that's a good she still, one. <laughs> she still lives in Golden Valley and she's like, no, never really wanted to have kids. You know, she was married, got divorced. No, I don't really want to get married again. She's like, I and she actually went so far as to say, I've actually looked up the laws and regulations in the city of Golden Valley to know that I have just few enough cats to not have what constitutes a cattery. That's an actual <laughs> a term. cattery. Oh a my cattery, gosh. Which if you have too many cats, then you actually have to like file for a license with the city in order sure. to have that many cats. Which I was like, wow. that is one of the <laughs> most most bizarre things anybody said. So as far as things that were like, yeah. wow, that was one of them. I mean, with an absolutely no you know, no sheepishness to it. Like, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> it's like, all right, good for you. You know? So, well, five yeah. cats could keep you busy, I guess. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. And apparently I'll only eat, like, you know, whole food or whatever, you know, pure, you know, butcher grade beef. I was like, oh, my God, I, I can't even. I just I can't understand this, but that's amazing. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> right. You hear it all, right? I mean, oh, yeah. when you're a professional advisor and you're working with with people to help them fix a problem or whatever. Um, yeah. I, I guess I, my, my next question is what, what made you decide to choose law as your profession? How'd you get started? It kind of, so after I finished my undergraduate, I studied economics in undergrad mm. and just because no particular reason other than I just took a course and it just seemed really fascinating. And so I kind of stuck yeah. with that and I didn't really have any other plans. So when I got out of college, I was like, I just don't want to be in school anymore. So I I worked for a good, I mean, was it like almost four years, um, both in St. Paul and I moved out to the West Coast and spent some time in Lake Tahoe and in San Francisco. And I my mm. I call my my first career was um, my first career is hospitality. It's my parents own oh. operate a a resort in northern Minnesota, and I grew up with that. And they were involved in the resort. My dad was involved in the resort industry pretty much all his life and before that. So. I grew up around it, was, you know, familiar with it. So, you know, I did a lot of, you know, bartending, waiting tables, and I did some temp work mm -hmm. and that sort of thing, just trying to, I didn't really have a plan. I just didn't want to be in school anymore. And mm -hmm. after not too long a time, I was like, okay, now I'm ready to figure out what's next and decided kind of fell on, okay, well, kind of a toss up between potentially a, a law degree or an MBA. Honestly, like I, I did like mock trial in high school. <laughs> But it was never a thing where I was like, it was just fun. I was like, you know, I didn't really ever honestly consider being a lawyer. Like, I don't have any lawyers in my family. I have very few actual professional degrees in my family. And mm -hmm. so it never really crossed my mind. I didn't, like, grow up with it. It just wasn't, like, a thing that was on my radar. But I finally kind of came to the conclusion that, I mean, I grew up in a grew up in a small business, you know, like, yeah. kind of liked, you know, business-related things, had an economics background. It was like, this is, I think this is where I want to go, but I don't know specifically what it'll be. Um, yeah. And just decided that in the end, the options with a law degree were, were just broader than they were than MBA. And I just didn't, I didn't have any interest in being like, I don't, you know, get an MBA, go to a large company, climb a corporate ladder, like that, that never appealed to me. Like that just wasn't really ever on the table. Um, me either. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, mm -hmm. so I was like, okay, well, I don't really know what practicing law actually ultimately looks like, you know, other than what you see, you know, on TV. Um, but I know that, you know, there are other aspects, other you know, things you can do with it or learn that there are other things you could do with it, business related and working in business or you know, any number of things. And just having that legal background and, you know, if all else fails or it's something that you sort of gravitate toward, then you could practice law. 
So it was kind of like, hey, this seems like a, a good number of options. So that's kind of how yeah came to be. And I moved back from California to go to law school here and just kind of been here ever since. So and worked uh, primarily in, in medium and large law firms in, uh, in the Minneapolis area. So I basically like, you know, bounced around to, you know, four or five different buildings all within a, you know, five block radius of each other. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it works though, right? Yeah. And and here you are working with business owners. (laughs) Yeah. My professional footprint is like very small. (laughs) You can, you can actually walk it in like, you know, 15 minutes. Well, you're making all those good friends everywhere. That's awesome. And, and so when we, when we think about and talk about business owners and risk mitigation from a legal standpoint, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, as we know, many times they wait too long and yep. then to, to, to call you and then they scramble for legal counsel and they probably could have shared or saved, I should say, a lot of time and money. Mm-hmm. Maybe you mm-hmm. share a quick story, maybe a recent one that you handled in a situation mm-hmm. like that. Because I think that when we hear stories like this, we learn from them. And obviously the focus of this show is for business owners to learn and to have the better better outcomes. Actually, there's something that's happened really very recently that we're actually still dealing with that kind of falls into that category. It's not, hmm. I wouldn't say it falls into the, you know, ready to exit transition stage, but it's it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty, you know, universal, I guess, story lesson, but it has to do with a, a startup company that had a, had a director of sales who in kind of their real early ramp up mode Kind of held them over the barrel and said, "Hey, um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna leave. You know, I'm the one that has all the potential customer contacts, uh, mm-hmm. unless you give me, you know, straight equity in the company." And wow. so they're kind of just stuck between a rock and a hard place. And instead of you know, kind of consulting and figuring out what you know possible options there were, they just gave them the stock. And it was just necessarily a horrible thing, but this is a trap that um, companies oftentimes fall into. It's like it's much cheaper to just say, hey, here's, you know, I just granted you X number of shares. Um, that seems to appease the employee or key person that asks for it, and they don't have to actually have any money out of pocket. The problem is mm-hmm. as you get further down the road, especially with a growing company like this, who ultimately the plan is, you know, grow it over the next five years and then sell it to somebody else. That's, you know, kind of the typical model in this, you know, tech startup world. But then when you get to that point where somebody's going to buy it, you got all these like little, you know, minority shareholders, uh, exactly. out, you know, and you got to kind of, you have to clear up that part of the cap table. And mm-hmm. further than that is that if they're employees, then they, and they start to not perform, which would happen here. And you terminate them, and then the other the other option or the other side problem is you need to uh, reacquire their stock. And this company had a you know has a shareholder agreement in place that covers that, but it's you know you can't force somebody to do that unless they voluntarily want to. And so in this case, we're just now we're trying to we're trying to get him to sell his stock back pursuant to the terms of this agreement. He's already been terminated. And so there's really no yeah. incentive for him to do that. And to make matters worse, the company really doesn't have any, or the price of the shares is determined by book value, which in this case, they just have basically debt. I mean, they're they're worth zero on paper. So it's like, sure. you know, we'll rebuy your shares for a dollar because they're actually worth negative money. And <laughs> so they're just, there are a lot of ways to handle that situation that doesn't involve actually granting or issuing actual equity. It's you know, there are other options like phantom stock or, you know, right. performance based bonuses or whatever, something that the person gets 
you know, kind of a kicker down the road when the company is sold, whether or not they're employed or not. When they push for those types of options uh, against, you know, what you would maybe otherwise advise, then they end up with more need for legal counsel, more unraveling to do, right? Yeah, which is unfortunate. Where we are now in that we've, you know, sent hand letters and sent the documents, and now we might have to, you know, actually go into litigation, you know, which already Uh, it's then, then you know, then the meter starts running because it's just that's such an expensive process for what is, you know, relatively, you know, simple situation in most circumstances. Yeah, it, it could have been prevented. So as far as current market conditions, let's just talk about current market conditions like right now. Obviously, they're different than they were a year ago or two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, we're in March of 2022. So depending on when mm-hmm. the listener is downloading this episode and, and following. Um, mm-hmm. But let's just talk about what you've seen happen with your clients just recently. Sure. Aside from the story well, that you just shared. Mm-hmm. There still seems to be a lot of interest or the, you know, the quote unquote, the, the term, the term dry powder of, you know, mm. potential interested buyers, whether they're investment mm. funds or other businesses. But there certainly is a, a lot of activity in the market. But what's different, mm-hmm. I think, now that I've seen, at least in the lower middle, lower market, lower middle market, is the buyers are more dicta- dictating the terms of the sales. Uh, there are there's certainly money out there, but it's not this like huge multiple um, you know, of EBITDA type transaction. Like it's just, there's like silly amounts of money, uh, buying businesses that only generate a couple million dollars a year. I mean, it, it's just much more, it's much more leveled out, uh, than it used to be. And in okay. the deals I've, the deals that I've worked on in the last, the last like six to nine months, um, there's more and more of the, like the offers and from buyers have to do with like future um, earning earnouts, consider you know future consideration based on the performance of the business over the next you know two to five years, and mm-hmm. this is a tough thing. I mean, I, uh, more often than not, on the seller side of this, um, and that's hard because it's there just isn't a lot of guarantees there. I mean, once no. you sell the business, even no matter what you put in place, they ultimately get to control what happens and you can do your best to put safeguards in place to make sure that you get some value down the road, but ultimately you just don't know. And yeah. just seem to see more and more of that. I just, I'm not sure if it's just in particular the clients that, that I have right now, but I've heard it from my colleagues too. Mm-hmm. Same thing, just these very odd and very like forward looking structures that don't put a whole lot of money in the pocket of the uh, seller at closing. It just, it's, it's mm-hmm. drawn out over a long period of time and it's a, it's a battle to get them to sort of back off, get the buyer to back off on that uh, demand. What types of buyers are we talking about here? What types of buyers are doing in this? my in my world strategic? I don't have a lot. Okay. In most of the businesses that I yeah. represent or have in the last year or so have all been not necessarily uh-huh. private equity uh, offers. Okay. I mean, they're primarily others in the same industry who are making strategic acquisitions to enter mm. a new market. So, for instance, mm. one is you know, a larger player on the East Coast buying a, you know, smaller player in the industry here who's my clients um, so that they can mm-hmm. expand their reach into Minnesota and more into the Midwest. Okay, so privately held companies selling to a third party, they're not expecting mm-hmm. these kinds of uh, structural ch- uh, challenges, but I think that so much of that may be coming just from the uncertainty of the future. I mean, let's face it, we're all 
looking into the future and going, okay, mm-hmm. it's a crapshoot. We have no idea yeah. what to expect, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the PTSD of the last two years, I mean, how real <laughs> is that, you know? I mean, that's just, we're all struggling with that. I mean, it's just, you know, it yeah. got upended kind of without a moment's notice. And then now you've got, mm. you know, upheaval, worldwide upheaval, right? I mean, you've got, you got the war mm. in Eastern Europe and it's like, and that's just affecting, you know, tons of things market-wise, business-wise, worldwide. Sure. And it's just, you just don't know. I mean, it just, even if it's a small business and maybe isn't affected by, you know, the price of, a, you know, a gallon of gas, it's still... It, other things happen stock stock market wise and otherwise and you know what buyers are comfortable doing so yeah and that's 100 uh, percent true one more question and then we'll wrap mm-hmm. up what if true. what if i am going to be selling my company and and i know that i'm going to sell to a third party i'm not i don't have a family member or management team that's interested in buying what are some of the things that i should be doing then right away to prepare from a legal standpoint well both from a legal and, and a broader standpoint is having your kind of having your team in order your team of advisors i mean not only your legal advisor but your accountant and your personal wealth mm-hmm. advisor and any consultants or exit planners like yourself like having that team uh, up to speed and knowing what your business is dealing with and getting their assessment of where you sit is probably mm-hmm. the most important thing that you that you can do. And it doesn't mean that you need to utilize all of them right now uh, for yes. a great deal of time, but it's just to kind of get a general sense, where do we stand? Where does your legal house stand? Like, how are you organizationally? What does your ownership look like? You know, how are, you know, how are things with your employees and employee benefits, your intellectual property? I mean, this, the list goes on and on. But it's you know, ultimately say, you know, what's the health of the business? What are its, you know, what are its uh, strengths? What are its weaknesses? And what can we do, you know, to either enhance the positives or reduce the negatives so that when it's time to actually go to market, you're in the best position you can be, you know, to get the best terms and, you know, the best deal possible. Uh, that's just, it's all planning. I mean, and having those people help you with that assessment is, I think, crucial. Yeah, it, you really hit the nail on the head there. And the health of the business, as you said, you know, doing a little bit of preventative medicine can save a lot of time, a lot of money, um, not leaving money on the table, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So thanks for being on the show, Josh. I wish we could yeah. keep going because there's so much to talk about with this subject. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> right? We just keep going. Um, what's oh, yeah. the best way, though, for our listeners to reach you? What would you prefer? Oh, email's great. So my, our, mm-hmm. our, the website for our firm is uh, www.bestlaw.com. And then my email mm-hmm. address is just jbobich at bestlaw.com. That's probably the quickest and easiest way. Perfect. For our listeners, you can find okay. this and all of our previous episodes on the Poised for Exit website at poisedforexit.com, where there's a direct link to order the second edition of our book on Amazon. Thanks for sharing and following this program. And thank you, Josh. Please join us again next time, everyone.